we are in a study called Theology for Life. Theology means the study of God. Theology is the study of the things of God. And I saw a quote last week, beliefs drive behavior. You have to believe that's true, no pun intended. But what you believe ultimately does drive your behavior. It should drive your behavior. Some of us have good beliefs. We don't practice it. But most of us, what we believe does determine our behavior. Let me ask you this. If you you are driving home tonight and you believe there's nobody on the road but you and there's no policeman and you're in a hurry to get home, how many of you might speed because of that belief? Thank you for your honesty. How many of you, if you knew that there are policemen on the road with the radar out and they need to give some tickets away before February is over, how many of would that alter your behavior? Everyone who is honest. Yes, it would. It does because beliefs, what you do believe, determines your behavior. We're talking about God. Isn't that ironic in a church? We're going to talk about God tonight. In our study of theology, we started with the fundamentals and then we, we looked at God next week. We are going to be looking at the Word of God, the Bible, and I believe that the three most important things in theology are understanding who God is, understanding the Word of God, what it is, and then understanding salvation. And so we're talking tonight about the, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in a moment, but let's begin just a quick review. We have how many gods? We have one God. He has made himself to us known in how many ways, Reggie Hanchi? Three, three ways. See if you can help me with this. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit tonight. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, we see the, we see the Godhead here. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, that's not a trick question. How many of you see the Trinity there in that passage? You you do. You see the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, do you agree with this statement? The Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood aspect of the Godhead. How many of you would agree with that? I, I, I would. I think we don't understand the Holy Spirit well. And I'm speaking, so don't any of you get mad at me who are Baptists. I'm speaking as a Baptist we, we, uh, we have traditionally been afraid of the Holy Spirit a little bit. Would you agree with that? Because we've seen extremes, and, and because of those extremes, maybe, we, you fall off the horse on one side or the other, and sometimes Baptists have been a little scared of the Holy Spirit. So let's don't be scared of him, and let's, let's look at why. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Father, He is the Spirit of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God the Father. He is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is God. This is very important. All this. The the, the next thing, the Holy Spirit is a personal being. He is not an it. He is God, a personal being. Charles Stanley, uh, the, the great pastor in, at First Baptist Atlanta, 
in, in a book I'm going to recommend to you at the end of t- this evening, talks about as a, a young man, because the only Bible he had was the King James translation. And the King James is a great translation. It's harder to read today because it was written for English-speaking people in the 1600s. Does that make sense? So it's a little more difficult. But it, there's, there's times when the King James refers to the Holy Spirit as it. And the Holy Spirit is not an it. That's not the best translation. The Holy Spirit is a personal being. If I said Reggie Hanchy, he is a great guy, I wouldn't say Reggie Hanchy, it is a great guy, would I? Now, Mary C. might if she was mad at him, right? But Reggie's not an it. Reggie is a he. Would you agree with that? He is. The Holy Spirit is a personal being. The Holy Ghost is an accurate translation. How many of you grew up hearing the Holy Ghost? I I mentioned this a few weeks ago. That scared me as a kid. It's an accurate translation. I'm not sure it's the best for children's worship. Would you agree? (laughs) The the Holy Ghost, a little bit terrifying. Maybe not as clear, but the, the word spirit means wind. Uh, in spirit, and so the Holy Ghost is certainly an, an accurate translation. It just may not be the clearest. Do you know when the Holy Spirit appears in the Bible? Genesis 1-2. That's about as close to the beginning as you can get. Would you True? Let's look at Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Read that out loud with me. And the The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Isn't that cool? The Holy Spirit shows up in Genesis 1-2. The only thing that, that trumps uh, the Holy Spirit showing up is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you have the Holy Spirit coming. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon men for mighty works. This is a little complicated, and we'll talk about this more in just a second, but... In the Old Testament, and before the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit did not live in everyone who was a God follower. The Holy Spirit's presence was real, but that's something that happened in Acts 2. But the Holy Spirit, you see, you see him throughout the Old Testament. And David talked about the Holy Spirit in Psalms 51, verse 11. So that's Psalms 51, 11. David said, David, after his adultery and his murder, David was praying a great prayer of repentance in the the 51st Psalm. He says, do not banish me from your presence. And read that last part with me. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Isn't that significant? Uh, I don't believe the Holy Spirit can be taken from you and me, but many of us need to pray that God will give the Holy Spirit back to us in full. And that's, that's our problem, a lot of us. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was the agent in Jesus' conception. Jesus' conception. Matthew one twenty, Matthew 1, verse 20. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said. Joseph, remember, is thinking about breaking it off with Mary. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I'll explain that in just a second. I want you to see one other verse, Luke one thirty-five. Luke one thirty-five, And the angel answered her, The Spirit will come upon you. Mary goes, How am I going to have a baby? The Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You, you see the Holy Spirit and the Father there. Did you notice that? And the Spirit of the Most uh, High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And, and I believe the Holy Spirit 
touched Mary's womb and she became pregnant, a virgin birth, a supernatural birth. But the Holy Spirit was the agent of conception there, extremely important. And the Holy Spirit affirms and anoints the kickoff of Jesus' ministry. The beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 3, 16. Matthew 3, 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went out from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And one of the reasons that happened was so John the Baptist would know who the Messiah was. You remember that? John said, I, John was his cousin. John said, I didn't know the guy. Jesus was such a natural, humble, fit-in person. You'd have thought because Jesus never sinned, John the Baptist might have picked up on that at some point, right? But he said, when, when I saw the, the Spirit descend on him, I knew he was the one. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts who convicts the world of sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts, makes us uncomfortable, makes the world uncomfortable with sin. The Holy Spirit convicts people of their lost condition. We preach, we speak, we sing, we talk to, we encourage, we beg, but it's the Holy Spirit who convicts. Does that make sense? We, we ought to reason to do everything we can, but it's the Holy Spirit who convicts people their lost condition John 16 18 John 16 18 and when he comes the Holy Spirit he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment one thing you can pray on Sunday morning is one that your heart's tender that you'll be convicted but also pray that the Holy Spirit will convict people around you and the Christians that may need to get some things right are lost people who need to come to Christ. Pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who draws men to Christ and salvation. Now, we believe here that Jesus being lifted up, he said, I'll draw all men to myself. So we believe the Holy Spirit wants to draw everybody, but it's the Holy Spirit who does that, correct? It's the Holy Spirit who draws. I believe he wants to draw you and everybody but it's the Holy Spirit who does. You, you and I don't convict people. We beg, plead, but it's the Holy Spirit that convicts and that draws. Now, here's some really important stuff, too, here. The Holy Spirit comes to live in the believer at the moment of what? Salvation. Very important, and there's good brothers and sisters who disagree with us on this. It's important that you're right on this. The Holy Spirit comes to live in the believer at the moment of salvation. Romans 8, 9 is a verse you need to know. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Whoa. Many of us are. You're controlled by the Spirit. That Spirit is capitalized. That's the Holy Spirit. That's not your Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them don't belong to Him at all. You see the Trinity in that verse. Do you see that? Here's what that, that passage is saying. It's saying, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are lost. You agree? Pretty is, it, is that clear? Let's read it again. But you are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Here's the problem. People get confused on the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. 
People get confused on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to make a disclaimer. If you disagree with me on these things, we can still be fine and brothers and sisters in Christ. And I have good pastor friends who would disagree. But I think it's, these are important things. They're important things. Baptism of the Holy Spirit happened when you got saved. Let's say somebody came down here tonight and they gave their life to Christ. They get the Holy Spirit when? Tomorrow? Next month? When? Right then. They're baptized with the Holy Spirit right then. The filling of the Spirit is something that needs to happen all the time. The baptism is a one-time event that happens at salvation. The filling needs to happen every day. How many of you would agree the filling needs to happen on couple of times every day for most of us remember that Ephesians five eighteen. it says don't be drunk with Budweiser but be what that's the Louisiana translation but be what filled with the Holy Spirit a, a drunk is controlled by alcohol don't be controlled by that but you be controlled be filled by the Holy Spirit controlled and filled are synonymous so you go I want to I want to be filled with the Spirit then surrender your life to him let him have you Christian Get him out of your big toe. You've got him. Let him loose. This is very important, though. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. Now, I've heard people say this, and, and I understand completely what they're saying. People say, I got saved when I was 10, and I got the Holy Spirit at 14. Have you ever heard someone say something like that? Just me? Okay, let me tell you probably what they're saying I gave my life to Christ, I believe, at 14 or 10. I spoke in tongues when I was 14. Nobody understands that. And I'm not, I think speaking in tongues is a biblical manifestation. I think it can be misused like a lot of things. So I'm not against speaking in tongues, but I'm just saying, if you go to Romans 8, 9, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not saved. Yes or no? Okay. Really, really important. Here's some other great stuff for, for you as a Christian. The Holy Spirit seals you in salvation. He is God's guarantee that you are eternally His. He seals at salvation. He's God's guarantee you're eternally His. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, listen to what these beautiful verses say. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Leave that there, just back that up if you would, Jamie. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's not getting out. And the Holy Spirit means to make something, sealed means to make something secure or put, put a stamp on it. When the emperor put his stamp on you or on your document, that meant, man, that was impressive. That meant authority. And so you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ryan Richard, isn't it neat to know that you got the, the Holy Spirit's God's seal on your heart? And let's look in verse 14. And it says, who is the guarantee, that, that's the deposit of our inheritance until we acquire possession of. When do you acquire possession of your inheritance? When you go to glory. That's the politically correct way of saying what? When you die and go to heaven. How many of you grew up here and once saved, always saved? Okay. I think this is what this is saying. If you're truly saved, you will always be saved. 
You agree with that? Okay, let's stop for a second. Is that important? Or is this just theology that we're blowing through? It's super important. Let me ask you a question. If you can lose your salvation, what do you have to do to lose your salvation? Sin, right? Okay. How many of you sinned today? Raise your hand or you just sin. Every one of you. So how, okay, but it's got to be a big sin, right? What's a big sin? Well, adultery, murder, those are big sins. Lines of sin. I mean, sin has different social consequences, but, but sin's sin, isn't it? So is it 500 sins and then you lose it? Then many of you have lost it. Amen? I know you. You have. Is it big sins? Well, a lot of us have committed big sins. You see, this is really, really important. When you got saved, you got sealed by the Holy Spirit. Man, God secured you. God stamped you. And God put the Holy Spirit in you. We're going to see more in a moment. Is God's guarantee that you got a better life now. But man, friend, that's God's deposit in you that you, you belong to him and, and, and you got heaven waiting on you. That's good, isn't it? That's good. The Holy Spirit lives inside the Christian. The Holy Spirit lives inside the Christian. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Wow. If you pause and think about that, that's mind-blowing, isn't it? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body is the temple of God. Our body is the temple of God. God lives in you. Now, think about this with me for a second. This theology, but how significant this is. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God the Father. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, correct? The Holy Spirit is God in spirit. If you're saved, he lives in you. I would encourage you to think about that. I I believe that's life-altering if we really let it sink in, that God lives in you, that God lives in you. Here's some next thoughts that I think are wonderful. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. He is our comforter and our guide. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. He is our comforter and guide. I'm going to show you in this passage, but he is one exactly like Jesus. And Jesus is exactly like the Father. Remember, the Scriptures say when you saw Jesus, this is God. John 14, Jesus told doubting Thomas, You want to know what the Father looks like? You see me, you see the Father. And the Holy Spirit is is the Spirit of God, Spirit of the Father. In John 14, verse 16 through 18, Jesus is getting ready to leave. He's getting ready to die. He's going to come back to life, but then he's leaving, and the guys are heartbroken. You can imagine how they must have felt. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And, and that phrase, it, it's, it's easy to miss that in our English. Another helper, Jesus was saying, God's going to give someone, the Holy Spirit, someone just like me. So you're one of those 12 disciples. Judas may have already left by now. And, and Jesus is telling him, I'm going to die, I'm going to leave, I'm going to come back, and then I'm going to leave again. Wow, how devastating. But how reassuring Jesus said, but guys, listen. I'm going to send someone exactly like me to be with you. 
And he's the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. He wasn't with, in him yet, but he's going to be. I will not, look in verse 18, leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Let me tell you something. God's always with you. Isn't that wonderful? The Holy Spirit lives in you. He's your God. He's your counselor. He's your comforter. Wow. John 16, 13 just reiterates this too. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit will never lead you against the Bible. He wrote the Bible. But there's a lot of things that come up that the Bible's silent on. The Bible's your boundaries then. But the Holy Spirit is your guide there. Isn't that wonderful? The Holy Spirit is our guide. Here's another thing. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to every believer. If you are a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Sometimes it's like spiritual gifts. People treat them like a trophy, don't they? You ever notice that? Like, I've got this and you don't. That's not, gifts are to help glorify Jesus and benefit the church and other people but every Christian has a gift Christians we suffer from gift envy would you agree with that it's funny I've sat I've sat down with evangelists who were great evangelists they just weren't real good pastors and they say oh I wish I could be a good pastor and and every pastor I know at times goes man I wish I could be an evangelist (laughs) gift envy but God find your gift and use your gifts most of us have more than one gift And and here's a last thing that I think is really important too. The Holy Spirit is always trying to bring glory and honor to Jesus. To Jesus. John 16, 14, Jesus said, and the Spirit will glorify me. He's going to take what is mine and declare it to you. Here's a great way. When you look at ministries, you look at preachers, you, you listen to teachers, the Holy Spirit is always trying to lift up Jesus. He's always trying to lift up Jesus. What are we trying to lift up? But the Holy Spirit's always trying to lift up, lift up Jesus. Here's a great book, The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. Patsy, we have that in our library, I'm sure, don't we? I highly recommend you this book. It's, it's, it's written with the depth of a theologian. It's written with the application of a pastor. Charles Stanley has a very good grasp on the Holy Spirit. It's good to help you on decision-making, but it's good to understand the Holy Spirit, the wonderful Spirit-filled life. If you're not a Christian, I challenge you to give your life to Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit now. As a church, we are the body of who? The body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is to be our power source and guide. Would you agree with that? A lot of churches are having power shortages, aren't they? Some have had power outages. <laughs> Let's continually let him have his way at our church. As a Christian, I, I want to encourage you to stay close to God. Pray, forgive others, confess your sins. Now, allow the Holy Spirit to have total control of your life. If being filled with the Spirit is being controlled by the Spirit, then let Him have you totally.
daily and throughout the day, surrender yourself to Christ. That's the key to being effective and joyful Christian and living the abundant life. We're going to have just a moment of invitation in just a second. But I would ask you, does the Spirit of God live in you? If not, come tonight and give your life to Jesus. You'd like to join our church tonight, now or after church, we'd love for you to. We want Jesus to be the boss. If that's what you're looking for, come and join us. As a Christian, honestly, how how much control does the Holy Spirit have of your life? If you're saved, you don't need more of the Spirit. The Spirit may need a lot more of you. That's a little more difficult, isn't it? Christian, where you're standing or at the altar, would you let the Holy Spirit have complete control of you this evening? Let's stand. Ministers will be down front. You want to come tonight and pray or make a decision, we welcome you. We encourage you to do that.